Hello, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. And for those of you who have never heard of us before, uh, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. Now, the other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. So if you enjoy these updates, you can sign up for a SNS membership uh, using the link below this video. And I am here today talking with Mark Anderson, who, if you are a, fo a frequent follower of this uh, channel and podcast, you know well. Mark is the CEO of Strategic News Service and the uh, chair of the FIRE Conference. And he also has been, for the last 25 years, I think, releasing his top 10 annual predictions for the year ahead, uh, which have a 95.2% publicly graded accuracy rating to date. So um, one thing that we do every year, we release these predictions early to our members. Um, and we will be doing that this week. Uh, we have a, we'll have a, a member happy hour event, predictions event with our, with Mark. You'll have the chance to ask him questions. If you are not already a member, you can join uh, now to get those predictions long before the rest of the world and ask, ask Mark questions in person on, at our event on Thursday. So Mark, tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that you thought about or considered in writing this year's predictions? So, yeah, um, every year that we've done this officially, long time, I try to start out by giving people pictures of what I call the landscapes, the technology landscape and the economics landscape and the geopolitical landscape as a way of establishing agreed upon understandings of what's going on. Instead of just throwing out, here's 10 things. Mm -hmm. so I, th I think that it helps people understand how I'm thinking about things um, before you just throw out some ideas about what's going to happen in the future. And so this year was kind of weird, Barrett, because as I think you said that last year. Well, they're always weird, but they're <laughs> weirder. <laughs> um, this year it was weird for the reason that I didn't do it that way. And, and what happened was, you may remember, we have this thing called the SNS mantra, which we've had for 10 or more years. I believe it was, it doesn't sound original now, but I think it was original when we first put it out there because we were so interested in national business models and in intellectual property mm -hmm. and the theft of it and in the use of it, the creation of it. And, and so the, the mantra was uh, in the post-information age, um, Technology drives every sector of the global economy and intellectual property is its asset class. So that's what gets stolen or made or sold. So um, I finally realized this year as I was looking through these landscape questions that it has actually now become one. It's impossible to, to separate those landscapes. You know, if you want to talk about Taiwan, right? You know, mm -hmm. in the geopolitical war about to happen or not going to happen. And then you want to talk about Taiwan. Oh, they make chips. Oh, you want to talk about chips and their economic value around the world. They're the same thing. It's the so same one, conversation. Yeah, It's yeah. all one conversation. So no more separation of the technology and economy landscapes from now on. Okay. They got merged. Um, so we're going to 
talk about one of your predictions for this next year as a teaser uh, before our event on Thursday. Um, but I want to start with going back to one of your predictions from last year and just, you know, we do this in the global report every year we go through the predictions and we assess ourselves um, and their ac each one, the accuracy of each one. So um, I'm going to read your prediction from last year out loud. And then I want you to give a, an assessment of the uh, what actually happened. Okay. So your prediction from, this is from Jan, pub, written and published um, in late 2021. Late, yeah, that's right. Uh, China becomes a pariah state at last seen for what it really is and really does to its own people and to others. Disengagement by the free world moves from a so-called impossibility two years ago to staged inevitability for all who can protect themselves. Yep. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that worked. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so yeah, so so tell tell me tell me like what what's your what's your personal assessment of that? How how sure. have how have we seen that playing out recently? It's it, it's funny, Beard. It's it's I think people have a hard time remembering what they were thinking a year earlier or five mm -hmm. years earlier. Yeah. And you kind of, whatever your state of mind is right now, you kind of fuzz it over thing. Well, it's always been that way, you know, but it wasn't so long ago that when we said that China was stealing the world's IP and that was their only business, no one believed it. You know, what, what are you talking about? And so now here we've, what we've kind of get every year we categorize the next steps in the, the progress that China's, CCP has made or is making in this project of stealing the world's IP and then getting rich off of it and then destroying their competitors. And we're at that point now where last year we said what you read. And um, the good news is that I think just three years ago, if you, uh, and it was done, you know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which tends to be pro-China, by the way, um, has, you know, they interview all their members and their members said, no, no, China's fine. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. We're worried about it, but uh, not too worried. And so now you've got, I think, last one was a few months ago, and something like a, a quarter of the members who are in China said, we're getting out. Yeah, everyone's getting, getting out. Even Apple is getting out. Even Apple is getting out. You know, out. the only person that's not getting out yet is Tesla. Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Starbucks. Starbucks will never get out, but Elon's not getting out. Well... No, I don't think Elon. Elon has a deal for his two billion or whatever dollar mega factory in in China, which was the first deal ever done that allowed him to be full owner, right? Well done. But the uh, fine print, as far as anyone can tell, is that if he sneezes twice in the wrong direction, right, take it over. And, and add that to uh, the amount of revenues he gets, which are very high, in EV, EV sales in China. And so you've got a situation where, depending upon your view of Elon, he it's either the most brilliant deal ever done because he's in the middle of his enemy's market, outselling them, and he's, he's learning about them uh, at, in order to compete worldwide. Um, and he got a, a the only deal ever done like that for a factory, or he's totally stuck, or both. Or both. Both. I think both. Yeah, I'll take both. He's probably. If I were him, I'd be riding it out until until you know to Matt. At some point, 
they'll probably be a break. Out of there. Yeah, they're yeah. going to take it over. Yeah. But until that point. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that it, it is interesting also is that um, at this point, when you wrote, at the point that you wrote this last year, one year ago today, um, all of the backlash from China's supply chain delays had yet to take place. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty clean slate. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, flash forward to, um, I, you know, I was at a fortune brainstorm in Aspen in July, I believe. And um, the CEO of one of the biggest, the world's biggest import or supply chain companies was like, yeah, about 75% of our, of our work now is on re onshoring or yeah, friend- friend-shoring, whatever it's called. Reversing, yeah. reversing formerly outside yeah. supply chains. Yep. That worked. So there, there you go for last year. Okay. So that's one from right. last year. And then we're going to yep. do one from this year. Yep. So you tell me the one from this year. No, you tell me because you got, you can read it. I don't have it. In front okay. Of you. Okay. Okay. I'll read it out loud. Yeah. Um, so meta is micro a real mega FUP, introducing the term mega FUP for mega failure to understand potential. The metaverse, just like IBM's Watson, is a firing offense if your CEO is fireable. Fortunately, after 25 quarters of diminishing revenues, Ginny was. Unfortunately for Facebook, after billions of dollars down the rabbit hole, Zuck is not. Perhaps they'll promote him out, question mark? That'd be a good move. Yeah, <clears throat> that's it. So um, I like this idea of a mega failure to understand potential. Um, the idea in modern times where in a tech company, one single person, fireable or not, um, can get so obsessed that they destroy the company uh, with you know many years and billions of dollars misspent without any indication that it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true for Watson uh, in, at IBM, and, it, and it's true for the metaverse. And Wall Street's starting to catch on to the metaverse thing, caper now, you know, but a lot of money. That's a lot of money down the drain. Well, you know, I think the other thing that's happened culturally that's shifted over the last year is there has been a major cultural shift in Silicon Valley, especially, and in the the world at large as as they relate to tech companies right where we've seen some of these major companies really stumble or it become clear that they've done things incorrectly or that they've been manipulative or that they've been you know um and that that thread that trend has made it less pop like people are much less likely to adapt or or go along with this long time silicon valley trope that we can kind of just all upload our our we don't have to worry about the real world because we can all upload our brains eventually to the internet and continue on in perpetuity, right? That that was kind of a driving, the whole singularity narrative has been a driving part of Silicon Valley culture for a long time. And it's wrong. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It always was. So, yeah. Um, I think that there's an awareness that all of these giant CEOs who with these big companies may or may not be providing value and focus to their customers. And there's more of a 
cultural pushback against that. That's that's true. I, I to be fair to the ones who are good, um, there are bad ones, mm -hmm. and it's not like tech's bad. I don't think big tech is necessarily bad. That's the that's the fad at the moment, but I think you can definitely have people in charge of big companies, including big tech companies, who don't have a clue about the future, and and typically they come in two flavors, either. Um, you know, like in in IBM's case, you have you have a person who I don't know doesn't seem that technical, mm -hmm. and gets you know gets totally sold on a thing which isn't even really AI, and then she sells it for four years or five years as like the answer to God's quest for AI, and destroys the entire AI market. Just just wipes out everybody. Right, you're talking about Jenny Rometty. Yeah, bad for those, who, for those who who are following. Yeah, and you know why really did the board not fire her after the first? You know when this happens, when this happens, the CEO is firing people every day. Their mistake is leading to tens or or hundreds of thousands of people being fired. At least tens and tens and tens and thirty thousand, forty thousand people mm -hmm. being fired because they're hanging like a dog on a bone onto a bone that isn't a bone. And if they won't let go, it's the board's job. You know, duh, to get rid of them, and why it took twenty or twenty-five quarters of continuing declining revenues at IBM for that to happen is beyond belief. It's an HBR special book on what went wrong, but um, you know, in other cases, I think it's kind of like, and I, you know, I'll try to say this with all due respect, but I don't think of of Mark Zuckerberg as being particularly visionary or no or intelligent really so um you know the idea that at harvard you could start a thing for grading girls and how hot they were doesn't mean you're a visionary or that you're that smart and then if you turn it into facebook the facebook or you know like okay a directory for kids at school all right how how brilliant is that you know not very uh and then you kind of go from there so I don't know. I I think that he had this lunch apparently, and and, and he got sold on buying the Oculus for a couple billion. That mm -hmm. started all. I happened to have been involved in VR at the very beginning. I was on the board of the first applications company for VR. Nice company. Failed, of course. And you realize pretty quickly that wearing these things, yeah, for more than about twenty minutes is a lot of time. And so you're, if your dream is because you're the head of Facebook that people are going to spend all day in these things or you're going to have what? No, not a chance. Well, the funny, you know, I think I think the thing that I'm the funny thing is that I agree with you that not all big tech companies are bad. I'm not I'm not saying that what I'm saying is that there has been. There is a difference between tech companies that focus on solving real world problems. Mm -hmm. And tech companies that do not solve real world, world problems. Now, Facebook, interestingly enough, started off has this history, I think, of starting off to solve real world problems, even if it, whether or not it was visionary to begin with. You know, they do allow people to connect. They allow people to connect around geographies and interest groups and meet people and organize things and plan things. Their problem has always been. Uh, when they have to introduce advertising in that and yeah, inevitably, inevitably ruins every experience, right? Like marketplace, yeah. for example, was extremely useful for many people 
And in the last like year or two, they basically just flooded it with ads that make it almost impossible to use effectively. So they have this history of creating useful things and then destroying them. Yeah, fair enough. That's true. <laughs> Whereas Apple actually, you know, I think a lot of the innovations that they're introducing are focused on, uh, you know, better empowering their users to have better privacy and security, whether or not that's actually true. Um, communicating more easily and more seamlessly um, and creating products that allow you to work and design and um it's like steve's spirit still lives on yeah the creativity spirit the basic rule here is the opposite of that where you know steve's spirit doesn't really live on and and when you lose that visionary founder you're Mm -hmm. done you're just done it might take 100 years but you know what is ibm to you right now you know what is i don't know you say this about a lot of companies after the visionary is gone and often it's two people who are the top two visionary. That's the normal thing in a tech company. But when they're gone, you know, HP, right? That was the greatest company in the world, I think. You had these two visionaries, and they were the best company. Everybody who worked there got great jobs somewhere else. All the headhunters went after HP people because they were so well-managed, so well-trained, so diverse. Amazing, you know? And then they, and then Dave left. And at that point, I don't know, things get kind of rough. And, I mean, really, I think Mark Hurd left in disgust. And what happened after that? was much worse. So it's hard for a company to continue to have good leaders who are well chosen by effective boards and who can contain continue to maintain that visionary excitement and understanding of technology that you have to have to, to be a big tech leader. It's very, very hard. Yeah. Almost impossible. It's a lot to manage. It's it's asking a lot. And it's a tribute to those people like Steve Jobs who pulled it off, you know, who really pulled it off. And, and like the Intel founders and, you know, there are people who really pulled it off. Um, but in general, it's going to, it's not going to last that long. All right. Well, so, okay. so that's, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, if you want to hear the rest of uh, the predictions for 2023, um, you will need to become an SNS member. You can join us at our event on Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time. You'll get an invite if you become a member. And we can talk more about all of the predictions. And you'll also be receiving them in your inbox this week. So if you are already a member, uh, we hope to see you there. And if you're not, uh, sign up. Do not delay. Thanks, and Mark. Those conversations are really fun. I think that the Q&A and conversations are more fun in, in a lot of ways than the predictions. They are. So, we have we have a wickedly smart and interesting group of of people who show up. Yeah. So and, see, see you Thursday for lots of argument and disagreement and chat. It'll be fun. Sounds good. Thanks, Brett.